of story which can subvert hard carapaces and melt stony hearts into what we really want to be all along but are too frightened to access. Playful children called by name to frolic. That's James Allison from Faith Beyond Resentment. Ah, yeah. That is a very good opening reading. I like it. Uh, hey, hey, I'm, you're here once again. Uh, come, I'm glad you came out of the cold and uh, are uh, joining us here for this uh, House of Mercy Sunday service. Yeah. Um, you know what? What? Believe it or not, next Sunday, we are actually going to meet in person. We're going to meet at... 5 p.m. for candle mass. That's 21st. Next week, we're going to meet by the big old tree by the... Mosaic, the big old tree by the mosaic. Yeah, we're all going to come together and meet there in person, if you could believe it. But uh, I know it's so cold now, but we think next week, you know, and I think you all know, too, you pay attention to these temperatures. It's going to be 30-something next week, so we'll all want to get out and, uh, you know, we'll all show up in our shorts and sandals. And uh, The sun's going to be shining, the snow's going to be melted. It's going to be a beautiful condal moss. It's, uh, it's a movable feast. Usually we do it a little bit early in the year, but uh, it's a tradition, German, uh, hence the condal, where you bring a condal, condal, moss, I guess is German and, uh, and Spanish, moss, meaning more candle, I think, um, this German, Spanish, or it could be, it could be mass, like in a church service, I don't know, One of the, but you bring a condal to the service, you light it, we all light it together, and we bless it, and you bring that light back of the community back into your home to warm your home and then the pie is uh we just added that because you know pie is good maybe warm your uh, warm your belly right so please come and uh be a part of it see see real live folks together yeah and those are going to be individual pies so i mean yeah, you can stay so. outside and eat or you can take it home right and it's uh, individual pies you know so you don't get uh, you know you know, to be safe, to be safe. And I'll, of course, you know, wear a mask and uh, we'll all uh, observe all uh, official safety measures. Yes. And then there is going to be yet another opportunity to see people's faces on February 28th. We're doing a live Zoom service at 5 p.m. Sunday, February 28th. Um, you can look for the link to join that in the newsletter. And it's like, it's a quasi-service. We're not going to do everything we usually do in the service. We're going to go ahead and do the podcast, but this is going to be some singing, opportunity to talk to people like you do on a Zoom. 
yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be on Zoom and we'll be able to sing. And it's because it's on Zoom, we don't have to, you know, you don't have to uh, observe any safety measures. You can just like, uh, you know, aspirate all over your computer screen. And uh, it's, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be crazy. But it's going to be fun. We're going to have uh, some youth uh, offerings. And uh, we're going to have a scavenger hunt, believe it or not. There's going to be singing. There's going to be, uh, yeah, some words. And uh, I really hope that you will join us for that on the 28th. Uh, and uh, like Debbie said, look for the, in the newsletter, look for the Zoom uh, invitation. And then were you going to say something about the pledge drive? Yeah, because we are, as we come to the end of February, coming to the end of our pledge drive for this year and this past year we know it's been well it's been quite a year and uh, for a lot of people have had some um, uh, financial insecurity loss of funds and jobs and it's just been tough uh, we here too we cut our uh, all salaries by 25 percent and our rent by 50 percent and so we really appreciate all of you who continue to help make the mercy happen because we think the uh, we think the mercy is something that is this is a community that is important especially in these times so um you will if you're a regular uh pledger will receive an email this week just uh we can reply for it to confirm your pledge for this next coming year and thank you again so much for your support and all you do to help make the mercy happen yes thank you so much for all the mercy this is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Won't you please join me in the prayer of invocation? In the deep, cold, and careening chaos of the political and the culture of acquittal and COVID vaccine, let none of that numb us to the possibilities of mercy, the suffering of our neighbor, the love of those nearby, or the profound peace of your presence. May we be contained by it now. Amen. Now may the peace of Christ be with you all. Please share a sign of peace with one another. There's a road that's straight and narrow that the saints have traveled on Paved with all the tribulations of the martyrs that have gone If you're grateful for their victory and for showing us the way Then give thanks for all your blessings, get on your knees and pray Thank God for every flower and each tree Selfishness and greed There remains a glory fountain To supply our every need You can find it in the temple With the welcome on the door But be sure to count your blessings Before you ask for more
master told us to When he said forgive them father For they know not what they do They would change their way of living If they could but understand So remember they're your brothers They need a helping hand Would you please join me now in the prayers of community? I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, with all of the conflict, news cycle clutter, and real needs that surround us, raise our heads that we might take a beat to see through it all to the brilliance of your creation, not over it all, not beyond it all, but through it, to include it in our view of the horizon and to place it in the context of creation and recreation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, in this coming season of Lent, help us to make time for contemplation, for pausing, for thinking deeper, and to follow the spiritual path you would lead us on if we listen in this season of preparation. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those in need of spiritual, emotional, and physical healing. We pray especially for Sonia's dad, that you would surround him with your peace, that you would be real to him, that he would be aware of your presence pray for Sonia and her family as they care for him and mourn in his suffering. Bring him healing, bring him comfort. We pray for healing and comfort for all those, all those who are in prison, prisoners of addiction, those suffering from profound loneliness, those who are mourning the loss of a loved one, or received a diagnosis of a serious illness. We pray for those of us who suffer from mental illness, especially in this continued time of isolation. God of mercy, creation, and healing, hold all of these people in your arms. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we have not loved you with all that we are. We have hurt those closest to us. We've hurt those in our lives and those who pass through our lives with the things that we have done. We ask for forgiveness and are confident that you judge us with your grace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. Now may we walk in the way of mercy. Amen. This evening's reading is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Thus ends the reading. Thanks be to God. After the year we've had, and I guess most of our history as a nation, built on genocide and slavery and the perpetual systemic oppression of black and brown people, It makes me cringe that the climax of the season of Epiphany is this story where Jesus goes to the top of a mountain and radiates intense whiteness, becomes super white, whiter than anything ever. How crazy to read this on this day in 2021 when it has become increasingly obvious that we're embedded and a white supremacy that threatens to destroy what semblance of democracy we have. I mean, I'm pretty confident that the author of Mark wasn't trying to say anything about the superiority of white. But still, it's hard to read on this day. Even if the whiteness didn't feel problematic, my first thoughts about Jesus glowing on a mountaintop Or not, wow, that's profound. It seems more like a sort of lazy way to try to signify something. I mean, maybe it wasn't when Mark wrote, but after Disney, Fairy Godmother's Tinkerbell, don't the elves glow in Lord of the Rings? I think I have a pretty clear memory of Kate Blanchett and Orlando Bloom glowing like. Jesus leads Peter and James and John up a high mountain. Jesus begins to radiate an unearthly whiteness. That doesn't seem like a very imaginative sort of transfiguration. I mean, if you're going to do supernatural, 
Why not choose something surprising and bold and transformative? What if Jesus had transfigured into like a different shape or gender? Maybe to ward off the future of patriarchy. I mean, I don't know, an indigenous peasant woman with an armful of roses in winter like Guadalupe or a Jewish grandmother with a basket of warm rolls to show tender and nurturing. This seems like an opportunity to reveal something about who God is. Glowing white? I mean... If you're trying for an image of God that's transformational. But I guess when you think of it, the whole God incarnate as Jesus, a human on his way to getting beat up by the religious leaders, flogged by the political powers, abandoned by his followers, murdered, buried, and then resurrected. Well, maybe that was enough of a transformative image of God. And this little episode on the mountaintop isn't really that big of a deal in the context of the whole story. Or maybe there's something here, and it's just not obvious to me immediately. I mean, it's a lot to ask old stories taken out of context to continue to feel relevant after thousands of years. I learned in seminary that a preacher is supposed to look for the good news in the text assigned to you every Sunday. That's good practice. And I feel desperate for some good news. But news these days to me, it's, it's something I obsessively scroll through on my phone to find what's happening in the impeachment hearing or with the virus variants, presidents and congresspeople, a power arena that doesn't maybe merit as much attention as it gets. So instead of asking where's the good news, I thought it might be helpful to ask if there's something in the story that could break my heart. Because I've noticed my heart's been feeling pretty hard lately. Not toward everything and everyone, just a specific sort of set of people, mostly people I don't actually know, but have strong feelings about anyway. Maybe my heart's hard because the heart can only take so much before some sort of survival mechanism kicks in, creates a shield, I mean, the pandemic, the dying planet, my mom's dementia. Maybe my capacity for tenderness has a limit. I don't know, don't ask me to love Mitch McConnell. I think it's probably that way for most people who seem to have hard hearts. There's there's something painful, maybe almost unbearable in their lives that has caused a hard shield to form around their hearts. I don't think that's unusual. But it's not impenetrable, the hardness. Or anyway, I think that might be where the hope lies. So the good news might have to be heartbreaking. So we can feel for humans instead of wanting to kill them. I mean... I'm thinking of the proud boy yelling, hang Mike Pence. But I think there might be something about me that's like him. I think there's something about the good news that reveals my hard heart and the incredible, tender heart of God. So Peter and James and John are led up a big mountain by Jesus, 
when they get to the top, Jesus is transfigured. And then Moses and Elijah appear and talk to Jesus. Then Peter says, it's good we're here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you and Moses and Elijah. He didn't know what to say, apparently. He was terrified. And then a cloud overshadows them, and a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. One thing hopeful, I actually feel for Peter here, which is unusual for me. Peter's the kind of man my heart is often quite hardened against, overconfident, zealous, talks a lot about stuff even when he doesn't know what he's talking about. Here he's terrified and confused, trying so hard to do the right thing, but so obviously not. And this, this whole appearance might be in part to address Peter's previous enormous blunder. In the last chapter, when Jesus says he will suffer and be rejected and die, Peter's like, no way, that's wrong. Then Jesus calls him Satan. Mark says kind of pointedly, six days after that, we're here on the mountain. Peter's floundering again, talking about building booths, and the voice from the cloud says, listen. A less compassionate voice might have said, shut up and listen. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You're not right this time, really. Your idea of what should be happening, who God should be, needs transforming. Peter's trying so hard, messing up so bad. That's kind of heartbreaking to me. Good. The mountain could also seem like some sort of hackneyed symbol. Almost every culture across time and place associates mountains and deities. The story takes place in the Roman Empire. It may have been a Greek who came up with the whole Mount Olympus scene, but the Romans adopt the stories, and what a scene that was. Mount Olympus. The 12 strongest, most powerful, most beautiful gods and goddesses, Jupiter, Juno, Neptune, Venus, all on a beautiful mountain where they each had their separate dwelling place, magnificent palaces, where they would return after a late night of partying at Jupiter's place, and Diana, the lady of the wild things, would pass around the food nectar and ambrosia. That's what the gods ate up on the mountain, and it was the food that reinforced their immortality. While Apollo played, and the muses sang, and Venus danced. Ah, that mountain, writes Homer, which never storms disturb, calm the expanse and cloudless shines with purest day. There the inhabitants divine rejoice forever. Really different scene, this one in Mark. No one ever describes Jesus as handsome and strong. He goes up on a mountain with three fishermen. Mortals weren't even allowed on Mount Olympus. And a cloud overshadows them, and they're afraid. They go up, but almost immediately head back down on their way toward Jerusalem, where Jesus will be tortured and die. Maybe Mark was being surprising and bold and transformative to tell his story. Mountains played a significant role in Hebrew culture as well. It's not Moses and Elijah's first time on mountains where there's some sort of divine manifestation. Moses encounters God on Mount Sinai. It's where 
Moses gets the tablets, the Ten Commandments. God, it says in Exodus, is like a devouring fire on that mountain. Moses spends 40 days up there, gets a lot of very specific instructions from God about how to build a lot of different things. Tabernacle, a table, a lampstand, instructions about vestments, oil, ordination. And because the whole process takes so long, apparently, the people God has let out of Egypt get tired of waiting for Moses to come down, and they make a golden calf to worship. And God is so mad. God says to Moses, Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. Moses has to talk God out of killing all the people. That's not the only time Moses does that. Mark's story is definitely a different scene from that one. Mark writes that Moses and Elijah and Jesus talk. I wonder what they talk about. Maybe maybe Moses felt happy to meet Jesus on the mountain, relieved, not to be having to talk him out of killing anyone. Maybe in the presence of Jesus, Moses was able to see that the seemingly violent deity was somehow obscuring the tender-hearted lover. And Moses is giddy to be standing there, unafraid. No need to cajole. I mean, obviously, I have no idea, but it seems like it might be a relief not to have to take down all those measurements for building things. Maybe Moses could understand Peter's inclination to build something. And I can imagine every bone in his body, if figures appearing from the past have bones in their body, I don't know, relaxing. You don't have to write down anything. Listen. This is my beloved son. Maybe Moses felt some of that tender-hearted love flowing over him. And Elijah on Mount Carmel. He had a contest with 450 priests of Baal to prove whose God was real. The priests of Baal were unable to work their magic, but the fire of Elijah's God came down and consumed the burnt offering, and then Elijah killed the 450 priests of Baal, and their blood flowed all around the base of the mountain. This scene in Mark is really not like that one. I wonder if in the face of Jesus, Elijah felt shame about that violent day. Or maybe, maybe he just recognized a tenderness he had glimpsed before. Elijah is depressed after killing the priest of Baal, and, and God says, go up another mountain. First, a mighty wind comes by, but God wasn't in the wind, and then an earthquake but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then the fire, but God's not in the fire. After the fire, a still, small voice, and God is there. Maybe Elijah felt delighted to hear that voice again. The voice of a God who has no wrath. Jesus goes down the mountain after the transfiguration, before long lets the powerful kill him and says, God, forgive them. As if that was the most important thing that could ever be. 
I see why we might have to listen for that. The voice of a God without fight, who holds nothing against anybody. A God with a heart of unlimited tenderness and infinite capacity for mercy. It's a subversive story to our own imaginations. So that hearing it little by little, any sense we have that we are a part of something that other people aren't a part of, will be shorn away. It's a story that may little by little unhook us from our need to be violent, even in our small, comfortable little ways. There's a generosity that summons people into being what they are not. It will break your heart. This is the Lord's table, and all are welcome. On the night before he suffered, our Lord took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sin. As often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. Amen. Oh, uh-huh.
Now may the peace and love at the center of all creation be with you and go with you now. Amen.